This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics, these lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve, because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Anchor. It's the great podcast creator and distributor that helps make the happiness question possible. They make it easy to distribute your podcast onto more than 10 platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, all without you lifting a finger. Even better, everything they offer is free. You can even get sponsorships for your podcast with no minimum listenership required, like I've got. If you're looking to start a podcast of your own, there's no better place than Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to The Happiness Question. Today I have with me Mark Yaffe, Native American comedian from Dry Bar Comedy. So Mark, tell me about yourself. Well, I am a 58-year-old stand-up comedian, which is old in stand-up comedy world. Uh, I started late. I started when I was 38, so I'm a year 20 of the 50-year plan. And I live in Reno, Nevada area. Well, not since I started comedy, but I got, since I got into comedy, I've had a chance to go to uh, 43 states, 11 countries, or my cruise ship, uh, do comedy on a plane, do a flatbed truck in the desert for some Marines. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun ride. Oh, yeah. I actually was really curious about that um, plane performance. How did that happen? What was that like? Well, the original goal was just to announce on the plane that we had a show in Fairbanks, Alaska. So, so the Alaska Airlines is super nice. Uh, said, Let's go up and well, Alaska to let's promote the show. And she said, oh, you're meeting. You got it. If you're going to say something about the show, you have to do some jokes. <laughs> I said, oh, what the heck? You know, I'll do something like that. I actually, I, I did about 10 minutes and maybe about 20, 30 people were getting it. Another 50 or 100 people were just staring at me like, what's this guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's not an ideal performance. You know, you get the microphone up to your mouth and then you're kind of half behind a half wall. You know, you can't really stretch out. You can't be very animated. So, so much of comedy is nonverbal. So it was like doing a 50%. Uh, it's like, I don't know, I guess it would be just like doing sports with one arm behind your back. But it was, yeah. 
it was fun. I'm the I think I'm the only comedian that has land, air, and sea credits. So I don't know. <laughs> That's some cool bragging rights for sure. <laughs> yeah, I just got to get on the uh, a space mission, and I can say I've done air, land, sea, and space. So that could be a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what got you started in comedy? Pretty much, I was teaching traffic violator school classes before get tickets in California. And they had to go to a class to get the ticket to race in the record. So I started uh, teaching those classes. I had been working for the state of California as a driving examiner to get the tests for the new drivers. I left that, started my own school, and started teaching the violator classes on the side. And people seemed to actually uh, laugh in my class. They're like, oh, are you, are you a comedian? You should be a comedian. Yeah. So I started thinking about I'll, I'll do comedy traffic school, I'll hire comedians that are actually professionals. And when I was researching to track some comedians down, I found out one of them was teaching a class. So I knew I would be able to catch him if I went to his class. So I said, well, I'm here. I might as well sit in the class, see what it's like. And I decided to get up on stage. And uh, it took the instructor liked me, started taking me out on the road. And just kind of mushroomed from there. What was your favorite show? Because it sounds like you've done so many. Well, yeah, it's hard to say. I've done a few thousand over the years. So probably that. One of the ones that have to be that flatbed truck where I shaved my head. Back, um, <laughs> we had one sergeant, and then my buddy had, he had one set of razor clippers, the other guys had the other set. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty surreal. You know, I just kind of thought that up. And then the weird thing is, like about a month later, Stephen Colbert, he went over there to Iraq. And he shaved his head, and it was like national news. I'm like, no one knew me. So I said, hey, I have way more hair. <laughs> I got way more, way more attention. So. That was, that was pretty memorable, especially because I was walking around Iraq for another week with my head shaved and I didn't have a hat. So, you know, your scalp's pretty much just a, a mirror to the hot Middle Eastern sun. So I, I had a little bit of a scalp burn, to say the least. And then, oh, it's another good show. I really enjoyed filming Going Native. It was the first all Native American stand-up special. We did that at El Rey Theater in Los Angeles back in 2000. I think it was 2009. It's been like 10 years. And uh, they didn't think anyone was going to show up. You know, the producer tried to give away tickets. And like, There's no one coming. No one's in the line. My friend's like, hey, don't worry. They'll be here. And sure enough, the place was, it was packed. They turned some people away. And, and it was uh, super fun. That's really cool. I'm hoping someday I can get to the point where I actually have something that somebody recognizes. Yeah, you never know, you know. It's, just, it's, it's harder in this day and age because there's, there's some, on one hand, Fewer people might recognize you, but if they really like your work, uh, you're gonna have more um, you know, super loyal followings. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. you just go out there, you know, 30 years ago, there was probably maybe, you know, a few hundred working comedians, and now there's probably, you know, there's at least a few thousand and a lot of open mic people that are thinking about doing it, want to be or think, you know, considering it or try it once or twice. Yeah, I think comedy is the new music. I tell people if they don't have it, people that don't know how to play an instrument, they get up, they want to be on stage. Comedy is the next best thing to try. Yeah. I feel like it's harder and easier now to get yourself out there. Easier in the way that you now have the internet that you can publish yourself more, but harder in the fact that everyone else already has. And so it's hard for people to find you in that huge pool of. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the thing now is just to find a niche, have a, a micro audience, and 
really build a loyal fan base and let people like you. And hopefully, you know, you think about it, if you have, you know, 330 million people or whatever in the United States and you have a, a following of a couple hundred thousand and you do a hundred shows a year, you know, if you get, you know, yeah. get 500 people come out each show. Yeah. Hey, that's not a bad living. Mm-hmm. Good following. And then I, you know, there's also people, you got to branch out now and then say so YouTube or get a podcast or try to do some acting. So you have to almost die diverse, but at the same time you want, you want to divert where you diverse becomes diluting your product. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I thought I thought I got into comedy to become a comedian, not a, a professional a marketer and social media uh, expert, wannabe expert. Oh yeah, you were mentioning the armed forces stuff earlier. Uh-huh. What was the what is the armed forces entertainment? It sounds really cool, but I hadn't heard about it until I read about it in your stuff. Well, every base and every post and pretty much has an MWR military morale, welfare, and recreation officer either civilian or military and they're, you know, try to keep activities. So keep the morale up and give people something to do when they're not, you know, working or uh, engaged in, act- in other stuff. So that is something that you have throughout the whole branches of the military. Anyway, so Armed Forces Entertainment schedules anything from, you know, bands and magicians to comedians, and speakers and, and Builds bowling alleys and <laughs> bases and movie theaters. Yeah. So, and then, you know, people heard of USO because the USO sponsors tours too. Probably more famous type folks. We did an Armed Forces Entertainment show one time in Bahrain in the Middle East that we showed up like at two in the morning. Next morning, walked to the base at Robin Williams and see all these posters. Robin Williams and uh, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and all these celebrities showed up on the same day as our show. We had like, you know, so there's like 3,000 guys out there. Like, we had a show that night. We still had like three or 400. It was still good. But you'd say, well, you know, not quite the same level, but. Yeah. That, that would be cool. No, I, my dad was in the military. So yeah, I remember we've had some cool concerts and things that they put on. Yeah, and a lot of celebrities are super generous on the, you know. As far as going out and touring, and that helps too. And then, so they do it at overseas bases. Also, uh, also domestic bases have their you know, programs too. We might do a, you know, a, a hall or a theater shows there. So yeah, they're always good shows. That's really cool. Um, so tell me more about your dry bar comedy special, Midlife Crisis. I I watched it last night. I thought it was great, but I don't think everyone here has seen it yet. Well, yeah, it's you know, dry bar is now the largest. It's what's it called? The aggregator. I said there's more of con- comedy content. There's more downloads from dry bar comedy than Comedy Central now. So that's good. So it's starting to grow. The producer reached out to me a couple of years ago, or maybe I reached out to him. And- like season two and then he was like oh yeah we'll get back to you i've never heard anything and then this year he just he messaged me and said hey we still want to have you tape sorry for the delay and so, so went to provo stayed at the local marriott there and hung out and went to the dry bar theater and they have they have it pretty much all it's pretty well organized of all our folks are a bit angel super super insightful have all the production bays right there so they're actually editing the shows while they're shooting so we shot two shows, like an early show, six, seven o'clock, and then a late show, and pretty much just I merged them together. I think ninety percent of it though came from the first 
first show and then they added a little bit to the second show. Yeah, it, it was a great experience. The show was sold out. People are very supportive of comedy and Provo. And I said, some people drove through the miles to come to the show. So that was great. Yeah, I've always wanted to go see one because I live like half an hour from Provo. Yeah, it's a good experience, you know? And uh, it's fun to see like the production and the guys count down. It's a little different than a normal just show up at a comedy show, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> now your comedy lives forever in the dry bar comedy app. I'm uh, never ending on the uh, social media world, which is good and bad, I guess. So. Yeah. So it's you know you see a lot of a lot of stuff, and some do really well, and then some it's like, well, I thought that would do better. You know, it's you don't have any control of it once it's out. And mm-hmm. Find it on YouTube or they see it on Facebook and. And they're very uh, proactive on marketing, which is great. So, I mean, I think probably a few more million people know about me than than before, you know, which was a few dozen people, I believe, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, one of those people was good enough to get you on there, right? It just takes one. You know, that's the thing on comedy. You don't know what the break will be. When, you know, one person says, hey, I know somebody and put you on the show and you think nothing's going to happen and mushrooms. I mean, Dry Bar's made a few people's careers now. There's my one friend, Brad Upton, he's had like 100 plus million views on his videos. And so, you know, it's really, he was getting ready to retire from comedy and now he's like, yeah, I'm all the time. So it's really helped him out. Yeah. yeah um, you take, you're really good at taking things from everyday life and just making it funny and just, you know, sharing how funny normal life is. How do we do that more? Well, I think the thing is, one, you just write, write every day if you can, you know. People want to say, well, you know, I want to be funnier or what makes me laugh. It's like, I'll sit down in the morning and just try to write out some random thoughts and what comes off the page and, and pay attention to what's going on. I see some funny stuff or hear stuff. And sometimes I'll just kind of marinate on it. You know, it's it's a bit of a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, but you don't know when you're going to get the puzzle pieces. <laughs> like you're just walking around with a box, you know, you don't open a box up, start building the puzzle. You're walking on the box, people, well, gee, I just saw this happen. This guy, you know, that, that baby stroller and uh, almost got ran over by that car and then the, the driver got out and you know, whatever, or I was at the supermarket and the, the self-serve checkout line, this crazy stuff happened. So it's really observing life. And then, you know, it's a little bit of exaggeration to it, of course. And how can you make a word picture? I think that's that's the key where I've really worked on my comedy is trying to take situations and paint a good or better picture about them to make them funnier and more descriptive. I think once people have a picture in their eye, a picture in their mind, and the, the, the comedy is a lot easier to digest. Uh, what advice do you have for people that are trying to get into comedy and entertainment? I believe the hospitality industry is hiring. So my advice is they apply online at the one of the major hotel chains or not. Uh, <laughs> out there and hit the open mics, right every day if you can, even if it's five, 10 minutes. Uh, the stage time is, that's the thing. You got to sit some muscle. It's like going to the gym. Say, well, yeah, I want to be a bodybuilder. And if you just sit at home and think about bodybuilding, you can't just go out there and show up at the gym and say, hey, I'm, I'm a bodybuilder. Let me get on and bench 500 pounds. You know, a lot of, I've met these guys that are delusional that they're doing comedy for like 
four or five times and they say, oh yeah, I got an hour of material. Oh, no, you, no, you don't. I, I can run. That's like me saying, I'm going to go take a jog. And then next day saying, well, I can run a marathon. So you have to have a good uh, appreciation for the, the craft of the comedy and building up. And the goal is just to get a really good three minutes and a really good five minutes and start building from there. But at your church or there's a church function or the neighborhood, they got a block party and say, hey, can I be the host? Can I MC? You know, so a lot of times there's people, no one, so many people don't like to get in front of a microphone that there's that's an opportunity to help. Well, you know what? We got a guest speaker. We need someone to introduce them. No one wants to do that. They get nervous. Hey, I'll do it. Is it okay if I do a couple jokes? Sometimes it's just sticking your foot and just where it's just one or two things. Because it's not only building materials, building confidence and, and comfortability on stage. That's all. Because a lot of people are very funny or way funnier, get more laughs than I do at a party or a gathering. But if you put them on stage and it's here in the headlights because it's a different uh, uh, situation. How does your being Native American influence or impact your comedy, or does it? Well, it does in the fact that I probably get some advantages. One, to work some some venues and some gatherings that uh, where they want specifically looking for Native comics, or you know, like a Native American History Month or a tribal celebration, and they'll look for someone with a native background that's one two i think i get a little more leeway and making fun of, of situations where a non-native comic would be able to do it you know <laughs> get a little bit of a pass so i can say a few more things and probably third is there's so few of us that's i think that's helped my brand recognition there's only you know, maybe a half dozen touring native comics out there so in, in the, you know big fish small pond i guess <laughs> that's your niche right Find a niche, yeah. So you know your niche. You say you were doing comedy. Your niche might be well, okay. I'm, you know, oh, that's a comedian, a guy that was used to be a, a flight attendant, a guy that was stuck on a boat, you know, <laughs> sailing, for, lost at sea for twenty. You never know what the heck. They, I met this guy the other day, and he's thinking about doing comedy and get all this trauma in his childhood. I said, hey, you probably want to be a motivational speaker instead of just doing comedy. Because everybody has a story to tell. We all think we're not that interesting. At the end of the day, really no, no one's that much more interesting you know, than other people. Some people just had more experiences to uh, share stories. You know? So how do we see struggles in everyday life through a more comedic perspective? Just trying to find the happiness in all of the pain and, you know, how do you find it? I think some, a lot of it is accidental, you know, it's like you, just when, when you're in the dark moments, anything in hospitals and situations, my dad, when he got a pacemaker yesterday, and they were just, you know, just cracking jokes. And you know, people, I think people use humor as a, as a tool to get by. So I don't think you can force it. You just have to kind of be open to it. And, you know, just keep, you know, no matter what you guys say, hey, this situation I'm in is crazy. And, and if you're very, pre if, I think it's like life in general, if you're present, you're going to, just the, the comedy is going to come to you so you have to try to pick it out. You know what I mean? You see that the moments, like, uh, what, what, are, what are the lessons, you know, what are, what are the lessons I can get from this? But what is the, what's, where's the humor in it? You know, I, I think you just have to be open to finding it and communicating with people, you know, if we're talking and there's always a chance, you know, if you're, if you're isolated or, or not in the game, if you're on the sidelines, it's going to be a less opportunity. Although, you know, a lot of comics, I should say that a lot of comics observers 
we're generally pretty introverted people. So by and large, but you know. lousy answers what I'm saying. But you think about like groups that have been persecuted in the past and Jewish people or natives, a lot of it was based on comedy and, and that's how people got got through the situations, you know. It's all like oh, you know, all you can do is laugh, you know, laughter and crying is it seems like it's a very close siblings to each other, you know. <laughs> the goal is to, is to laugh so much that you're crying from laughter. Sometimes you're crying so much, you just start laughing, you know, and that way just grief and you bust out laughing so something happens. You're at a funeral and just some random thing and it, it was just cracking up like, I can't believe this is happening. You know? <laughs> what do you enjoy doing? Like, what makes you happy? Just out of curiosity. I, I really like uh, hiking. I think I, once about, I think I get being outdoors. And like I said, I'm more of an introvert. So I, I like, I like crowds and then I like to step in away having some peace and quiet and i really like a balance of experience i think that'd be the other thing like I, that's why comedy is super appealing i might be on a ship and with the same people all week then i might be my, myself on the road in the middle of nowhere i might be in a city one week and i'm out in some casino in the woods i like i like the variety of a lot and a lot of different experiences and and settings yeah. pretty much i, I don't I, i'd like I like having some routine, but I don't like being in a daily environment where it's the same place, same four walls. Yeah, that's a good. That would, yeah, that would probably. Oh yeah, I totally forgot to write down. Um, tell me about your podcast. I haven't been able to look into it. Yeah, so I've always been fascinated by people with like, like extreme behaviors that are going for you know records and doing things that no one else really would probably consider doing, and what drives them to do that so i started this podcast it's called how does that happen so we interview we interview unusual record holders and then i say want to be and should be record holders so people are trying to make a, make a to achieve an official record or just have such an extreme lifestyle behavior or practice that, that, that there should be a you know there should be a record for it so let's see we've done about uh, i think we're on episode nine and first episode it was just kind of a run through i had a friend we think people i knew this is a wannabe record holder I had the oldest flip phone he was using a flip phone from like 2006 still <laughs> so it wasn't even record but we just talked about what makes okay why would you have that you know the fact that he doesn't want to spend money and just weird thing and then we did some actual record holders had a lady that holds a number of competitive eating records she's a mom of four she ate like 500 Three sup wings in 30 minutes. You see three uh, 72 ounce steaks at the uh, steak restaurant there in Emerald, Texas, that has like the contest. So, she, yeah, she's got a bunch of records. Then this other guy, uh, Samuel B., friend of mine, he did a thousand two nights in a row of comedy. So, we asked him, you know, what drove him to do that. Another comedian with the most overseas uh, performances for the United States military, uh, Dante, another guy who's trying to become the world's worst Uber driver. <laughs> Uh, and I just interviewed a zero waste lady. All of her trash just fit into two mason jars. Two years, her and her husband. Oh my gosh. Super, like, you know, she doesn't get a bath. She doesn't want a receipt. It's just to explain how her lifestyle is kind of different than most. And, you know, it was, it was pretty bizarre. And then my, then I just interviewed a guy that hasn't eaten fast food in uh, 51 years. <laughs> so we talked about how he gave up fast food even as 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I survived in modern life without uh, a McDonald's or a Subway. 
So what's fun is uh, how does that happen? Is the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all those good stuff. And if people go to my website, I also post it there. Laughwithmark.com. L-A-U-G-H-W-I-T-H-M-A-R-C. Awesome. How do you even get those people? Like, where do you find them? I see weird stuff on the online or people I know. I've kind of brainstorm what would I want to interview. So, like, um, the next uh, series, I'm going to have a guy that he's got all these backwards walking rec- world records. He's a backwards walker. And, and he's coached across country at a college, but that's his thing. His passion is walking backwards. Then we're going to uh, interview a, a 97 year old man that's retired. He was a long serving usher in Major League Baseball history. He was like started ushering in like 1942 during World War II. He was retired. He was like a little kid. And then, yeah. Just, uh, I just look for the, the crazy stuff that's going on and say, okay, why why are you involved in this? We'll have some serious ones too. I want to get, to, um, you know, probably talk to someone who's wrongly convicted of a crime and served, you know, a whole bunch of time. It wasn't really that, you know, they weren't, uh, they end up being exonerated, things like that. Those are so cool. We got the most impressions from the NFL. So working on that one. <laughs> and then uh, I think I'm bat- baseball. I got a uh, record holder for being hit by, hit by the most pitches. <laughs> yeah, so. Sports and comedy, of course, is the comedy. My other friend, he did all 50 states. So we interviewed him performing in all 50 state capitals. I think it was. he had one more to go. And he was working on that. So, yeah, it's fun. That's cool. Here's another random question. What states haven't you performed in? So now I need to go to uh, Vermont, Maine, South Carolina, Kentucky, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi. Cool, I haven't been to any of those places either. <laughs> Good country. Cracking. Yeah. <laughs> we went to Cherokee, North Carolina. And we went to, I, I talk about it as a man. It was like, they were, it was Eastern Band and Cherokee Indians, but they were super redneck. How y'all doing? These are some redneck redskins out here. <laughs> they were super nice. Awesome. Is there any other way that we can find out more about you besides your website and your podcasting? I'd like to go to Dry Bar Comedy. People can download my special for free if they get the Dry Bar Comedy app. So it's just drybarcomedy.com forward slash mark and ARC. My parents could spell. <laughs> uh, my live tour dates are on my website, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. So yeah, uh, pretty much uh, like like anyone now, we're all we're all one click away from being located. So <laughs> mark mark with a C. Yaffe is Y A F F. So the listeners will look me up and uh, add, follow me on Facebook or friend me on Instagram, and they'll up to date what's going on share some of my travels and next week i'm going up to a, i'm going to do a week in vegas so i'll be at the brad garrett comedy club so that should be fun and try to post some stuff there when i'm in vegas try not to eat too much buffet <laughs> it's been great talking to you Mike. yeah thanks for having me and good luck with the, the future episodes i'll be sure and steer my friend in your direction and awesome appreciate the good questions <laughs> it's been so fun. Have a great day, Mark. All right, you too. Bye. Thanks.